Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Welcome to all Formula One fans wherever you may be on our beautiful planet. Mark Daly here, joined by the one and only Kevin Laramay. And Kevin, I believe you have some news for uh, for us. I believe for the first time ever, they out of the two of us, one of us actually had a chance to crack the lap record at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve today. So tell us uh, how that went. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, but it was on my... Uh cycle so it was on my bike so <laughs> it was not close to the one minute 20 something i did like eight minutes 30 and i was pretty happy with it that's actually a pretty good time for going around uh, the uh, formula one circuit uh, on a bicycle so how's the uh, but before we get into the show uh, itself uh, how is the construction coming along for the uh, the the new pit facility that's going to be open for next year there's nothing left it's literally uh, down to making new foundations as we speak there's literally no more anything it's literally construction and there was a heavy rainfall yesterday so there was a bit of a inundation close to to that to the, in the center so the, the last chicane there was actually had to go through like a feet of water but that's fine it's, i'll take it for having new new paddocks in the next few years it's a big construction undertaking they're doing it's the biggest i've seen on the circuit ever and it's it's on the way to laying the foundations, basically. So then they can start maybe building a, a building before winter, and we'll see how much they can get done in the spring. So basically, the, the plan right now is to strip, which is pretty much stripped now, but to go down and build new foundations, uh, uh, make the floating, uh, I would say, floating surfaces a better, more solid, I would say, to be able to accommodate bigger motorhomes or bigger uh, temporary facilities on top of the new permanent facilities that we'll be building. But there's nothing left of the old F1 garage that you think of when you see the Circuit Givinev. So the gray with the white doors that are just there year-round, this is all gone. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the new uh, pit facility will look like. And, of course, now... I guess we're, what, at about T-minus 10 months or nine and a half months until the next Canadian Grand Prix, which nowadays typically is in, what, the first half of, uh, of June. So, you know, <laughs> I always say, ah, that seems like such a long way away, but considering how fast time flies, it won't be too long before <laughs> this season is over, and it really won't be too long before we're talking about next season, and before you know it, the Canadian Grand Prix will, will roll around uh, again before we know it, but... Instead of reminiscing on the past and looking forward to the future, I guess we can still reminisce on the past uh, a little bit. What a race we witnessed uh, this past weekend at Spa-Francorchamps. Oh, at least the the opening. Yeah, the first <laughs> the lap. laps were quite exciting before it sort of settled down into a, a bit of a procession. But the, the big talking points uh, from that was uh, Sebastian Vettel 
beating Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fair and square, passing them on the opening lap, really timing that overtake to perfection, uh, going down the camel straight wheel to wheel with the W09 of uh, Lewis Hamilton and a couple of Force Indias adding themselves into the mix, basically going four abreast down the camel straight there. And that 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 was something else. And uh, of course, Seb coming out on top uh, out, out of that overtaking maneuver. But it was, uh, well, I wouldn't say it was short lived, but uh, definitely the racing on the opening lap yeah. was a uh, uh, short lived. Of course, we witnessed, as we've seen many times in the past, a big accident, a big moment at uh, La Source, the very first corner, after Nico Hulkenberg, who was further back in the starting order, locked up the brakes, drove into the back of Fernando Alonso, and basically kicked off an entire chain reaction, which launched Fernando into the air over the Sauber Charles Leclerc into the back of Danny Ricardo and Danny Ricardo then proceeded to slash the tire of Kimi Raikkonen so you had well basically two of the top six runners in the race being relegated all the way to the back of the 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 running order I you know I don't know about you Kevin but I was actually just before we talk about Charles Leclerc and the uh, and that moment he had in that uh, that incident when I saw Danny Ricardo basically driving rear wingless back yeah. to the pits I thought right then and there he was done I was yeah. actually surprised that they were able to rebuild that rear wing and send him back I know he retired uh, later in the race but uh, I was I didn't know they could do that they got lucky enough that a yellow flag a safety car even so a general yellow flag safety car came out and gave Red Bull the time to put the car in the garage change that that back wing and the front wing as well to get him back out without too much too much time lost there was some of course and he was 16 instead of the position he had at the beginning but i do feel it's all because of that safety car presence but that first corner oh nico 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 what did you do what did nico alkenberg do this crash mark could have had serious consequences it's kind yeah, of a shock that everyone's okay. It is, and uh, Nico Hulkenberg has received a 10-place uh, grid penalty for the Italian Grand Prix this weekend, and I think he's also been hit with some uh, penalty points on his uh, super license, but it was a scary moment, just uh, the, the way that uh, Fernando Alonso was launched into the air, and he did come down, and I think, and I agree with uh, what uh, Nico Rosberg said on uh, on Twitter, that the debate now for the halo, love it or hate it looks wise, I think the debate whether or not this was a, necess- a necessity for Formula One, I think that's over after yep. you saw the scarred up, damaged oh. halo on the, the right side of Charles Leclerc's uh, Sauber. Just to think, well, you know, if that halo wasn't there, that tire was probably coming down on his head or pretty close to it. Not just and the tire, after- though. It's like the, the, the under part of the car, too. Literally, was almost floating on the top of the halo. And there's a camera yeah. angle on Ferrari and on F1's social media feed on Twitter. The front camera that is literally located uh, on the tip of the car was facing yep. towards the halo. And it was quite a coincidence that they were happening to film this way. It's like they knew it was going to happen. And then you just see Alonzo's car land on it and like slide on it and then get off. And you see... You see Charles Leclerc just being fine, moving his helmet, wondering what the hell just happened. Because <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. You don't really see behind you that well. And boom, just happens. And then he's off. And I'm like, can't believe I'm okay. And then he comes out of the car. Look at the hail. He's like, oh, damn. That was very close. I, I, 
could have broke his neck there if it wasn't for the halo. And that's like a broken neck would have been a happy consequence. He could have lost his life with that yeah. amount of weight falling on the top of your head. No matter if you have a, a helmet, your neck's going to snap on one way or the other. If you even have your helmet with that amount of weight on your head. So, no, you can say the halo has saved Charles Leclerc's life. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think we all had that debate whether or not it was uh, it looks good on the cars. But at the end of the day, it is a safety thing. And just the speed and which things happen in modern Formula One <laughs> and how like, like how quickly that happened from going from a locked up uh, front brakes on the on the on, on the Nico Hulkenberg's Renault, how that transformed into a chain reaction with uh, Fernando Alonso being launched through the air. I mean, it was all over in a couple of seconds. I mean, literally, it was over in a couple of seconds to think. All that damage done to the cars and potentially to the drivers happens so quickly and so violently because, I mean, Fernando's car did break apart like uh, you would expect it to in, in, in an incident like that. But I really didn't uh, notice it. I didn't really appreciate what had happened until later on when they showed the scarred up halo on the Sauber. And then, of course, you didn't really couldn't really tell in the what the angles that they showed on the uh, like during the race broadcast uh, because uh, when you sh- saw like the the view from Charles Leclerc's car like the the, the forward looking camera that's you know just above the uh, the airbox there it's uh, you you could see Fernando coming over and then what with his uh, radiator basically being blown open and leaking fluid everywhere it was basically all covered in uh, well water radiator fluid whatever goes into the formula 1 car's uh, cooling system it was all over the place and obscured the view, but a uh, scary, scary uh, moment. And I think it was also uh, very interesting, too, that, um, that well, Charles, of course, has said afterwards that he feels very lucky, which, <laughs> of he course, uh, he which would think. I mean, is, that's yeah. a bit of a, an understatement. But I think one of the other interesting ones was that uh, Nico, Hall, or, sorry, Nico Rosberg wasn't the only former F1 driver that was uh, taking to, to social media, uh, Felipe Massa. Uh, he tweeted the same picture, and he said, uh, after seeing this, we can say the halo is beautiful. And then he went on to be a, a little bit uh, critical of, um, um, of IndyCar, especially. I mean, we yeah. saw last week that horrible accident with Robert Wickens, yeah. but um, he did say that, um, well, he said, uh, when, when you see all the accidents that happened in F1 and IndyCar the past uh, few years, we can say that F1 is always trying to improve halo track changes, virtual safety car, etc., to improve safety. And IndyCar is not doing much. So that's no, a and, but kind do, of an inflammatory and, uh, tweet from uh, little Felipe. It is, but I'm going to give IndyCar a little bit of prop. Next year, there's going to be one safety measure that's going to be introduced. It's not going to be a halo per se. It will be type of a windshield that goes a little higher than the top of the helmet. So it'll be at the front, just like where the halo is. Imagine if this is all the windshield that goes a little high. So that will be what Dallara, which is a chassis manufacturer of IndyCar for every team, that's going to be the type of security measure added next year. So if the same thing were to happen in IndyCar next year, the same result would probably happen. The car would skid on top of the windshield and would then fall off. It wouldn't hit the helmet of the driver. So Felipe Massa is right for the past and for the present, but at least starting next year, and that's even before their Wiccans crash, which they're still reviewing what they can do to improve safety. Mm -hmm. At least there's a windshield-type protection that's going to happen. And, you know, 
if there's complaint about the windshield and if there's fluid and grease on top of that windshield that you don't see, they're going to just go to a halo. They, they, they're going to have to because the halo now, it's not just in Formula One. It's an FP2 as well. And it's going to mm-hmm. trickle down to all the other series eventually of open wheel. And I wouldn't be surprised if eventually if their test of the windshield next year is not successful, they'll have to adopt the halo aspect because the halo now has been proven and it's less visually impairing than a dirtied up windshield could be but a windshield that has protection on it that you can because there's there's pit stops in indycar which there's not as many pit stops in formula one and you have those tearaway plastic labels on top of the windshield like you have on top of their helmet that you can just tear away to clean up the windshield like NASCAR has on their windshield. So there, there's some aspect to it that you can see, but at least there will be some improved security measures in, 2018, in 2019. But Felipe Massa is still right. Yeah, he is. He did go on uh, as well to, to come up with a follow-up to a tweet like that, did not only just uh, about the halo, but he uh, was uh, just talking about Pocono where the average speed is about 360 kilometers, so over 200 miles an hour and and then some and just critical of the lower walls and and then the fences he just says so dangerous for safety and sorry to say that but they need to look after the safety uh, of the drivers and of course it uh, the, the the safety of drivers and everybody involved spectators mechanics everybody around the racetrack that has to to be taken into account because i mean things can uh, like i say it it happens literally in, uh, in an instant, but just talking about first corner incidents, oh, yeah. we had uh, on one side of the track, Nico Hulkenberg driving into the back of uh, somebody. On the other side, on the inside of the track, we had an unexpected person doing almost exactly the same thing uh, in Valtteri Botas driving up the rear of Sergei Sorotkin. And uh, he's been uh, penalized that as well. He's given a, a time penalty and also, I, I think, a couple of points on his super license. But uh, I think, uh, well, I, I didn't see any comments uh, specifically from uh, Valtteri Botas, but uh, Nico Hulkenberg was just talking about how that uh, just when you get in a pack of cars like that, I mean, he completely owned it, of course, that it was 100% his fault, uh, whatever happened. But just that uh, the, the way that the cars are balanced and weighted when you get behind uh uh, you know, trailing a group of cars like he was, that when you put the brakes on like that, things like that can happen. So That's he uh, uh, literally outbraked himself into it. And, and Botas doing the, the, the same thing on the other side because he was all the way at the back yeah. having incurred a whole bunch of, uh, of grid penalties. So it was uh, <laughs> it was really odd to see the way that, uh, that things, well, the, the field was lining up, especially uh, into that first corner. Another proof that aerodynamics are way too relied on in formula one is this right there you your car you're braking and you have to brake to not hit fernando alonso or to hit sergey sarotkin by the way august 28th 2018 happy birthday sergey sarotkin it's his birthday today so um, until for a few hours while the time we're recording this happy birthday sergey i don't know how you say it in in russian but i'm gonna say it in english or i can say it in french but uh that's about it but uh no you're right and i think the over-reliance on aerodynamics in nowadays in Formula One. The other series, of course, there's, there's aerodynamics in IndyCar. We just talked about it, so why not make the comparison there too? But they all have the same, and they all react the same. And the only really important aspect of the aerodynamics for, for, for IndyCar is to make sure they don't fly, to make sure they stay down. For mm-hmm. Formula One is make sure they're they're fast and that they are handled good. But 
once you're behind another car or in a pack of car where the airflow is not coming straight from one source, but it's coming from all around you at different speeds because of different cars around you, that gives the air a different shape, a different mass to the air because the air that will go under versus the air that goes over versus the air that goes sideways, it gives all different pressures on your car and you're trying to yep. brake and you can't because of the differences of being in in the flow and not right on the air where you, you don't have that draft. So when you're in the draft, you don't have that power or that suction aspect that the aerodynamics give to the car and stick them to the ground to alleviate a bit of the pressure on the brakes. That's one of the reasons why F1 brake really good is while they brake, there's a shift of weight as well in the same time mixed with aerodynamics, which help the car go down a bit and it's easier to maneuver when you have the variables being changed behind another car it's not possible for that car to react in the uh, predictable aspect that you would think would happen so you can predict the reaction and then you don't break hard enough and your brakes even if you break hard enough they don't have the same amount of pressure applied to them because of the lack of air and you just run into Alonso or you run into Sorokin yeah, and uh, that that's the perfect thing. I mean, uh, I guess the best basic way we can sum it up is that that the uh, the aerodynamics on a Formula One car work really good if you're in clean air, and uh, and you're punching a hole through that clean air. But if you're not and you're following, then not quite so good. But there was a, an article in the I believe the August edition F1 uh, Racing magazine that basically talks about these measures that they pushed through at the beginning of the summer for the uh, the aero changes for for next year. Of course, uh, post-2020, that's still all to, to be decided. But at least in the interim, they've come up with a, a way to really or at least address and maybe make the try and clean up the air that uh, that goes around behind the cars and try and just clean up that uh, that dirty air. So it just makes it a little bit easier for following cars to stay close to the cars, closer to the car in front of them. And then, well, thereby, uh, hopefully improving over overtaking. So. Uh, that was something that they they pushed through somewhat uh, quickly, but uh, after they did go and look at it, uh, interestingly, almost shockingly, the uh, the Formula One team seemed to uh, really agree to it in I would think almost record time. And I think it's kind of interesting as the time goes on in the Liberty Media era of Formula One. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit more surprised at the way that they're able to get things like this done. Uh, yeah. Which in the past, in the Bernie Ecclestone era, which was literally forever, <laughs> that uh, and things like that, just if they did go through, literally uh, went uh, went through at a, at a glacial speed and involved all sorts of politics and fighting, and usually uh, had one or two threats of Ferrari quitting Formula One for good. Of course, uh, <laughs> Marchionne made that uh, threat earlier this year uh, before you know sadly passing away just Maybe recently, but. He even said uh, as recently as I think sometime this spring that if uh, they felt, if Ferrari felt, uh, that the 2021 regulations weren't beneficial, specifically the engines, that was, I guess, anything that doesn't really live up to or the, I guess, is in the spirit of Ferrari, then that would be something they would uh, walk away from. So very impressive. And whether or not uh, they actually do do that and pull it off and, and increase the overtaking, we'll, we'll wait and see. But one thing I can say is very impressive, and we already talked about it, and that, that is Sebastian Vettel beating uh, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fair and square. Fair square. Yeah. This move was fun to see. Yes, it's because the Ferrari engine has a little... Okay, 
Ferrari engine or the Ferrari fuel, okay? If we listen to Shell, which is the fuel provider of Ferrari, not of everyone, but of Ferrari, and that's one thing that differs from from series to series. In Formula One, everyone has its own, well, majority of people have the same, but Ferrari has Shell as their fuel. And apparently, the new fuel that Shell has been uh, giving Ferrari this year gives about 20 horsepower benefit to Ferrari. So that's the fuel. But the engine and the Spec 3 engine, because that's a fun thing when you come out of a summer break, if you're a big team, you cannot touch the car for a two-week period. You cannot make the factory work, but the engine department can. So the engine department has been working for four weeks and developing a new spec that is now used. And we've seen this Spec 3 engine being very powerful, and this might be the first time in about four years now in the hybrid area that a, another engine than the Merc is the most powerful one. I do feel the Ferrari engine is very powerful. And if you look at Alfa Romeo, if you look at other uh, Ferrari engines, they don't have the same. They don't have the new Spec 3, but they're not as as behind as they used to be. And that's one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. But that Spec 3 engine, you saw it with Sebastian Vettel. Yes, he had the drag and he waited at the perfect place too, right? Kimmel straight where he had the uh, the draft and was able to overtake with a bit of a taking the suction aspect of being behind Hamilton and then just going to the left wide. Even to pass him by the outside, which was interesting. And he's wide and then just goes. And he's able to pass him like he's not there. And Hamilton even said, he passed me like I was not there. And <laughs> that that's not on me. It's nothing to do with Hamilton or anything he could have done. They were both full out. They were both full gas going 100% even 105% of the capability of the car at that moment. And Vettel and the Ferrari were just faster. And there's nothing Lewis Hamilton or Mercedes could have done to change that. No, they couldn't. The amazing thing, too, is after Vettel made the overtake on Hamilton was even with the, in the, the remainder of that first lap, he immediately opened up a, a couple of sep, a second gap on him. And then it stabilized uh, for quite a while to about three and a half seconds because that was the uh, the, um, the theory at the time is that, that Seb needed about three and a half seconds to prevent the undercuts. The IS or, or prevent going. the DRS yeah. too. That, that's the yeah. theory that I heard is to make sure that you're out of the DRS zone because now the margins are so small. It's a slim difference between the two cars, especially if, you, if you're just looking at the engine power on a straight line. Okay, those two cars are so close now that if any of the two is in the DRS zone of the other one, they can overtake them. And then it's going to last for one lap and the other one's going to do the same. So it's going to be just a musical chairs for about 70 laps so to make yeah. sure Sebastian Velton needed at least three, four seconds to prevent the undercut, like you mentioned, but as well to prevent the DRS zone aspect where he could have got overtaken after lap three. But because yep. he had that three-second gap, Lewis Hamilton could never get close enough to actually overtake Sebastian. Well, it was interesting, too, because Lewis, uh, of course, he pitted first, and then Vettel came in right at the, uh, the the very following lap. But by the time it all kind of um, worked itself out, 
Lewis, of course, uh, he goes in for his pit stop. He loses his uh, P2 to uh, Max Verstappen. And by the time Vettel comes out of the pits, they're all basically one, two, three going up into Eau Rouge. And uh, it was uh, it was quite exciting. But of course, uh, at uh, Vettel very quickly got his tires up to speed. And then very much uh, they sort of settled back into the race order that uh, they had. But it was uh, also very interesting, too. And we, we should uh, talk. Um, well, before we talk about Force India, <clears throat> I do just want to go back to what we were just saying just now about, uh, or you just uh, alluded to it anyways, just about the the strength of this new Ferrari era or engine. And to, to me, Spa was different than any other race win that they've had, say, in the past two years. Last year, obviously, was uh, a year where Vettel at times early on really kind of He was in the world championship conversation, but it was pretty obvious that last year the Ferrari was not as good as the the, the Mercedes. It it was still, it was closer than it had been in the previous couple of years, but still uh, Mercedes still had that uh, that, that, uh, advantage over everyone else. But uh, this year it's been more even and, and some tracks have been more suited to Ferrari. Others have been more suited to Mercedes. And even a couple of tracks here and there have been suited to Red Bull, as uh, we've seen with, uh, what with uh, the Red Bull boys picking up uh, some re- uh, race wins here and there. But this, this performance that we saw at, uh, at Spa and, uh, well, qualifying was a little bit uh, different, obviously, Q3 yeah, right. getting some rain there and kind of <laughs> shaking everything up. But it made for a very interesting starting grid because you had uh, Kimi Raikkonen was very strong in free practice, again, in, in qualifying. And the rain just kind of threw in that X factor that really tipped everything up. So you had uh, Lewis Hamilton, I'd say, taking a bit of an unexpected pole position. But you had Sebastian Vettel lining up uh, in second position behind him then you had the two force indias uh, completely unexpected there and then you had max verstappen and then you had uh, the, uh sorry uh, uh kimmy raikkonen who got he was the one that caught out most by the rain and then just uh, getting that puncture on the opening lap he had a, a real miserable race but when, when it all sort of started getting going and you, you knew that this race obviously was going to be between vettel and 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 Lewis Hamilton just what with uh, Raikkonen was out of it quickly. Ricardo was well. Red Bull and uh, and uh, with uh, Ricardo and Verstappen, th- that was always going to be uh, a bridge too far for them to really challenge in this race. It was always going to be a Mercedes uh, and a Ferrari. And what with Raikkonen and Bottas effectively non factors in this one, it was just really interesting to see. Uh, Vettel and and Hamilton kind of going at it mano a mano and that's why I say it's it's like a watershed moment because it just felt different it just felt like this time that the the Ferrari power it seemed more legit it seemed more real and it just seemed that at, at one point in the I guess it was probably about two-thirds of the way through the race that I think the gap between Vettel and Hamilton was at about five seconds or something like that and then you could just tell at that point Lewis had basically I, I don't think he was pushing the car as hard as he needed to because by the time the race was all over and done with the the gap between Vettel and Hamilton I think was at about 10 or 11 seconds so he was uh, obviously took the mentality okay well Ferrari's beat me this time then we'll come back and we'll we'll fight another day yeah. You know, I, I give him six points in the championship, but I leave Belgium still with an 18-point advantage in, in the world championship. But it's, you know, at a, at a track where Mercedes has been very strong. Well, they've been a pretty much very strong Almost at all track, the tracks over yeah. the past four or five years. But, <laughs> but I agree with you, Mark. 
And I agree with yeah. you, especially for this reason, is this looks like a replicable result for Ferrari. Yes. It looks like this speed doesn't matter if it's a track. The way it happened, it could have happened at any track. It happened on a straight line, where a little bit uphill, a little bit downhill as well. Both of them neck and neck, side to side. The track had no say in this overtake. So this mm -hmm. feels a bit more replicable. And it's a type of thing that you can replicate in other tracks where you have straights. And guess what? Every track has at least one straight. They're not as long sometimes, but you always have at least one. So if you're Ferrari, if you're Ferrari you have to be encouraged by that. And you mentioned mm -hmm. the other wins by Ferrari. It's one thing to win a Grand Prix. It's one thing to win a Grand Prix when your competitor crashes or makes a mistake or blows a, blows a tire or Rosberg takes out Hamilton or anything else, right? But yeah. it's one another to actually overtake your direct rival to get a win. And I think that's why it feels a bit more special It's because on the track, during the race, not in the pits, not just in qualifying, but on the track, during the race, the winner overtook his biggest rival on the track to win that race. Yep. And I think that's why this feels a bit more legit for Ferrari and the fact that they can replicate that result to another track probably. Well, th that's right. And I think it was very uh, revealing in the, the, the post-race interviews that Martin Brundle conducted in the pits. And I, I think we saw Lewis Hamilton... I think he was pretty much lost for words. I'd, and we were talking about it here after while we were watching the race that I don't think that even though that that, you know, Lewis has seen Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari win races and beat them in the past couple of years. But to beat them head to head, that is a situation that isn't new for Lewis and for Mercedes. Because he made the comment at one point, he said, I don't know what sort of tricks that they have going on in Ferrari. So, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, just kind of trying to recall from memory, which which drew some uh, interesting uh, comments. Uh, Charlie Whiting, or Whiting, who's the FIA, F1 director, he said he was amused. Christian Horner said he nearly got his violin out when he heard uh, Lewis complaining about uh, Ferrari. But you could just tell that, that, that Lewis, I think, was legitimately and uh. genuinely surprised at being beat out by Ferrari <laughs> at Spa on one of these uh, tracks that's a power circuit so that, uh, you know, with the long straights like the Camel Straight, where the, they've been so strong and to be beaten by Ferrari there and then going to Monza and then to Singapore, which are other tracks where Ferrari's done well and, you know, the Italian Grand Prix is coming up uh, this weekend. You know, if you're Ferrari, you're, you're feeling pretty good. And I was saying just now, okay, well, Lewis is probably... He decided to concede victory or concede the defeat, whatever you want to call it, depending on your point of view, whoever you're cheering for on on that day and figure, OK, well, you know, I'm going into uh, into the Italian Grand Prix. I still have an 18 point advantage in the world championship. I, you know, Seb, if you want it, you know, come at me, you know, you got to come and do it. But we saw a couple of years ago when Nico Rosberg won the world championship. It was the race in Malaysia when when Lewis, the, the big end in his car blew up and then. From there, he basically, I mean, he did everything he needed to, but Rosberg was basically managing the results and not pushing the car and really getting into any risky situations, anything more than he needed to. But 18 points, it seems like a lot. I mean, say Vettel wins in Monza and Hamilton comes second and he wins in uh, Singapore and uh, and uh, Hamilton comes second. So he, he could theoretically chunk away at it, uh, that lead one by one. But 
You look at it another way, say Lewis, and it's it's not unheard of. We saw a double DNF from Mercedes only a couple of races ago in Austria that if uh, Vettel wins a race and, uh, and Hamilton doesn't finish the race or has some sort of mechanical problem that puts him back in the race order, that 18-point advantage can disappear very quickly. So I think that uh, that Lewis is genuinely worried. I did say a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago before the summer break that that, that Lewis has been the more consistent of the two drivers. And for me, I think he still is the favorite at this point to win the world championship because you have uh, Spa's, uh, or sorry, Seb's uh, failed overtake at uh, Baku that didn't stick. And then you have the French Grand Prix incident that he had uh, where he, he got it with the, the stop and go penalty. And, you know, after he clashed with Botas, ended up at the back, Hamilton wins that one. And uh, then you have the uh, the incident at um, also at um, the, uh, the the Hungarian Grand Prix with the botched pit stop from Ferrari. Mercedes has just been a little bit more consistent, and you always know that that Hamilton he's a great driver, he's fast, and he doesn't make too many mental mistakes. I mean, I mean, count how many times Lewis has had uh, had a mental lapse over the years. I mean, I don't even think ah. you're going to count up uh, all in one hand. It's very very rare, but maybe uh, two three. And even though it was probably not even created by him, it was. Just just like a reaction yeah. but you know yeah. what you're saying is right and it explains his reaction coming out of the car when they got to the back ferme after the race he spent about 15 seconds looking at the ferrari looking yes. at the front yeah. wing looking at the side of the front wing looking at the different aerodynamics of the car looking at everything and he was like just mind-boggled was like okay Okay. Why? Why did he beat me? He was looking at everything possible. It's it's as if he would have loved to just raise the the back part of the car so he can see underneath or look at the engine. Of course he can't, but um, he was really worried. He looked at that car wondering, they beat me outright. There's no excuses, no asterisk. Why did they beat me? And he was trying to figure out why by looking at the car. Yeah, well, uh, even uh, Total Wolf team principal at Mercedes and, and Lewis Hamilton were saying that as much as Spa highlighted the strengths of the the, the Ferrari, most notably the, the the power that they have in that uh, Spec Three engine, it also highlighted the the, the weaknesses that uh, that Mercedes have. I mean, the the W09 is still a good car, but I mean, there's there's all a lot more parity, and at the moment. Uh, coming back from the summer break, it really feels like that that tide has changed, but. You know, uh, Formula One is like uh, very much like other sports. It's, uh, you know, that all about momentum and getting on a roll and and things can change in a hurry. So uh, we saw last year how things got off to a bit of a slow start for Mercedes. And then they had that horrible outing at, uh, at Monaco. And then they they basically worked flat out 24-7 between Monaco and Canada and then they came to Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, and then they basically dominated. And that was the real turning point in the, in, in the season, very much like this past weekend felt like a, a real... I, who, who's, no, who's to know if it's going to be a turning point in the World Championship? But it really feels like a, a very, very important uh, marker in the, in the season itself. And, well, just even talking about where the, the season is right now, Mercedes and Total Wolf have said that they're not even considering a support uh, role for Valtteri Bottas yet. And uh, we saw that intentionally or not intentionally, just uh, the, the way that the Hungaroring is uh, is built and the way that that track is 
that uh, that um, Botas was a very very good mobile chicane a couple of weeks ago going into yeah. the summer break, <laughs> and that really uh, played into um, into their favor and especially into Hamilton's favor going to that race because you had Seb crashing out in the rain in Germany and then Lewis winning both of those races, and that uh, really switched the, the the world championship around on its head and. And Toto did, I, I think it was a, a revealing slip. I don't know if uh, it was a Freudian slip, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But it was quite revealing when he called uh, Botas a, a wingman. He uh, did kind of retract well, of that he uh, afterwards. Nah, nah, nah. He retracts it just to, to look good. But let's be yeah, honest here. I mean, everybody knows it, right? He's everybody the driver number Botas two. Botas knows where he is. Yep. Botas knows why he gets his paycheck and why his paycheck is that high. It's yep. lower than Hamilton. And that's why it's still higher than a lot of teams. But he's getting that to support Hamilton in any way he can. A lot of times, the best way to support is to do his own race. But at a few times during the season, he's going to be asked to, okay, just hold your ground. Don't don't gain too much and don't lose anything. Just hold your ground and be that, that movable chicane. Or be that monkey in the wrench. Or be that extra mm-hmm. car between... Hamilton and Vettel maybe or or whoever is the the opponent at that moment and that's what Bottas' job is and you know as much as I like to to believe words of Toto Wolff, Christian Horner, Mauricio Arrivabene or even drivers I never do because there's one thing talking to the camera and there's one thing being honest when you're talking to the camera we're missing a lot of this ladder in Formula 1 where Everyone's nice, everyone agrees with everyone, everyone's happy, everyone's happy for the fans or happy for this or happy for that. But let's face it, that's lip service. And Toto Wolf is really good at that. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, uh, that, that's a, a really good uh, point uh, that, uh, that that you're making. And now I wanted to switch in and to talk to, uh, about a couple other things before we go into the final part of this uh, of the show tonight. And speaking about Lewis Hamilton, did you know that last night I completely dominated Lewis Hamilton? And no, it wasn't on the track, but it was in F1 2018 because, again, the show this week is uh, kindly sponsored by Codemasters, the developers of F1 2018. And the game, it's finally here. It was released on uh, the 24th of August last week, and it's available everywhere you get your video games. It's on Xbox One. It's on PS4. It's on Steam. It's on DVD-ROM. It's absolutely everywhere. And we were talking about the the Halo and earlier in the show, and we, we know that it uh, was extremely effective and, and really uh, came through for Charles Leclerc. But if you don't like the Halo, you can get rid of it in F1 2018. It's the official video game of Formula One. Puts you right in the cockpit of the fastest racing machines in the world, including every official Formula One vehicle of the 2018 season from powerhouse teams like Ferrari and Mercedes. And you can even drive a legend in 20 classic cars, including eight all-new classics, including the 1972 Lotus 72D, the 1982 McLaren MP41B, and the 2009 Braun BGP001. Here's an all-new career mode that uh, lets you live uh, life as an F1 superstar. You can establish yourself as one of the most respected, or least respected, uh, uh, driver, depending how good you are at the game. Uh, on the circuit, you can leverage your F1 expertise in contract negotiations with teams like McLaren and Mercedes, engage the press in time-pressured interviews, and uh, wherever you, where, where every answer counts towards your reputation. That's fine. And you can pick your rivals and overtake them in the official 2018 season. So, I mean, both you and I, we've been playing it for the past couple of weeks, and it's absolutely fantastic. 
I love the media aspect to it. Uh, okay, I don't like the logo that the the lady and the cameraman are wearing, but uh, I would have would have been just Sky Sports. Why not? Just just go all the way. <laughs> but I guess Sky didn't pay their money. Uh, but uh, those interview where you have to choose the right answer and it makes your reputation increase with either other teams, but your own team. It makes your chassis department happy, your aero department happy. I, I really have a getting a kick out of this because it, it helps your reputation as a driver and it's going to help your driver maybe two three years down the road get a better contract at one one team versus the other one and uh, i'm not really good at f1 games usually but the thing is in this one you can adjust the difficulty and i really put it on the very easy side so i'm having a lot of fun winning races with alfa romeo Saber right now and i created myself and i'm a teammate with charles leclerc uh yes i did take over Magnus Ericsson's job, so bye-bye, Magnus. <laughs> and it's me, because it's the most beautiful car in the whole Peloton, in my opinion, so that's why I'm driving an Alfa Romeo. And I love the, the, the career aspect, and it's so deep that I'm only four races in. So in a few weeks, once we uh, we finished a few seasons, Mark, we'll be able to do a review show for F1 2018. But you were talking about the classic cars, and if you're a long-time listener of this show, you know very well which car I like to drive as a classic car. And yes, it's a Rodman-sponsored Williams. Yeah, there's some real beauties in there. And there's lots of improvements to the game this year that makes it feel you're right in the middle of the action. There's revamped visuals that make it the most realistic F1 game to date. And honestly, it is. It feels like you're right in the cockpit. You can drive through dense fog, rain, the blazing heat. So you can feel the raw energy of an F1 car with the improved physics, which comes from real-life, real-world uh, Formula 1 data. You feel every bump and every turn across all 21 uh, circuits and uh, use all your F1 know-how to decide how to utilize your car's power using in-depth ERAS management. And, well, if you play your cards right, that can lead to some exciting head-to-head battles on the track. So F1 2018 is available now on PlayStation 4, Xbox One. You can go to FormulaOneGame.com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. Uh, yes, so it's, uh, the, the headline edition, right? And by the way, for uh, anyone out there playing PlayStation, PS4, you can add me, at Cavlarme, same as my Twitter handle, and you can come race with me. I'll do some online racing this week when I have time. I'll, I'll test out the new online racing Superlicense model, which I think is going to solve the problem of guys just crashing out and quitting. Because uh, that's that's really was the bane of my existence when I was doing online racing. You start and everyone goes for the first spot in the first turn, and if they crash, they just quit. Now you there's going to be point system and super license system to eradicate that and to give for you a better experience online to race versus like-minded racer. So for me, it's racers that don't like to crash, just trying to drive it like it's a real life car. And trying to get out at first cleanly. And uh, that's going to be interesting to do this week. So add me on PlayStation. And thanks again to Masters. Absolutely. And Kevin, I was just going to say here that one guy that might want to get out of the cockpit and play the official Formula 1 game is Daniel Ricciardo, who was complaining at, uh, at Spa that uh, they were basically losing time everywhere. And uh, he really couldn't uh, figure out why. So... Uh, he said that the it was weird and laps I did were fine. I wasn't going off the track or driving like an idiot. We just couldn't understand why. Even crossing the line, I'd see a lap time, and I'm expecting to see something significantly better, and I'm not. So I was a bit confused, which is uh, you know quite a bit different than uh, than the race that Max Verstappen had. I mean, he only really 
tangled with the two Force Indias a couple of times uh, as he kind of worked his way around. And I still have to say that I'm really impressed with the the season that Max has had for himself since the the Canadian Grand Prix, though those first six or seven races before Canada, I mean, he was all over the place. You could just uh, tell that that Max just wasn't quite putting all the pieces uh, together. But uh, since then, I mean, he's been very, very consistent, and uh, you can see this the, the the way that he's worked his way up through the the World Championship. He's now uh, past his teammate uh, Danny Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo's in sixth in the World Championship with 118 points. Max has now leapfrogged him into fifth with 120. And uh, Max really isn't all that far behind Valtteri Bottas, who only has 144. I mean, of course, it's uh, Hamilton and Vettel who are miles ahead of, uh, of, uh, of uh, everyone else. But really, for Max Verstappen, you really have to be looking at uh, at Kimi Raikkonen and, and Valtteri Bottas, who are only 25 points uh, up the road. So uh, Max Verstappen, if he keeps going the way that he is, it's not inconceivable to see him maybe move up another place or two before the, the season's done. And honestly, Kevin, I think that would be a surprise for a lot of people because things were going pretty sideways uh, for Max, especially I think it was an all-time low for the guy when they got to Monaco and he crashed the car in FP3 and then just didn't even get to, to qualify just because there was so much uh, damage to do. So I, I'm happy to see what uh, what Max has been doing, but also Force India. You know, after going to an administration Ooh. and looking like they were going to have a bit of a legal scrap there. Racing Point. They come back. <laughs> yeah, Racing Point Force India. They come back, have a very strong weekend. Of course, uh, like I say, they did benefit, uh, I, I think, uh, the most uh, out of, well, except for maybe Lewis Hamilton uh, getting a pole that maybe wasn't quite there for him uh, that weekend. But very good uh, you know, qualifying. I mean, uh, they, they ended up there, Esteban Ocon and, uh, and uh, Sergio Perez, in third and fourth to start the race. I mean, what was the last time we saw them? We saw Grosjean, of course, in, in fifth place, and then Raikkonen all the way down in, in sixth. I was a little bit mistaken earlier. I, I got Grosjean, uh, Max Verstappen. Of course, it was uh, Verstappen and Ricardo that, uh, that were in seventh and eighth, so really switched things around. But uh, Force India Mercedes... Their racing point, Force India, whatever they're calling themselves now, it wasn't just uh, a, a fluke that they benefited from that uh, that that rain and qualifying. They still managed to bring that home in the race, and I think that's a, a great result for them because I mean the team, you know, honestly, I was I'm not I'm not a huge fan of uh, Force India, but I don't like to see teams struggling. So yeah. to see them come back, come out of administration, get uh, new owners in the form of uh, Lawrence Stroll father of Lance and his consortium and then uh, immediately convert, uh, convert that into a P5 and a P, uh, P6 for Perez and Ocon. I think that's great. I think that's good news. I think it's very good news. And you know that team's going to change a lot in the next few months and years. Sponsor-wise, you can bet a lot of money that next year there's going to be a Michael Kors sponsorship on that car. I don't know how important <laughs> it will Bigger? be, but one of the owners, like Lance uh, Lawrence Stroll is one of the marketing head and was a very important but the owner of michael kors per se is one of the owners of racing point india uh, force india as well now so that's yeah. going to happen the driver lineup is going to change probably before monza i'm sorry esteban you deserve a lot better but it's not about what you deserve it's about what you can bring to a team and i yep. still have the uh the feeling that esteban ocon is going to find a ride sooner rather than later might not be as, as good as a car as he's in right now. He might be in the fourth best car on the grid right now. 
You take out Ferrari, yeah. Mercedes, you take out Red Bull. It's probably Force India fourth. On uh, the last two years, if you take a a survey of uh, the best times and best results and the consistency, I think you have it there. But just I just want to touch back on Max Verstappen for just before what you mentioned. Max Verstappen grew up really quickly this year, and he had no choice. I have a feeling yep. he was yep. sat down by Christian Horner or Dr. Helmut Marko and being Max. We know you can be really fast. We know you like to take risks. But you have to dial it back a little. Dial it back just a little so you get consistent all the time. Don't always give me 110% because then you expose yourself of crashing. Of move. Just give me 95 all the time and I'll deal with that. We'll make the car faster at that point. You don't have to. You don't have to make the car faster with your driving. And I think that that's where he's adjusting right now. He's learning to dial it back a notch and just be what he needs to be, not be a superhero, not trying to do whatever he can. Just do what you can. Get out of the car what you can. And some weekends, it'll be perfect. Some weekend, it won't. But just mm -hmm. do your best. Don't try to overextend yourself. And I think that's youth a bit that you need to dial back. And I think that's what we're going to see from now on. And I think that's probably the best explanation on why Verstappen is able to bring the result that he is right now is you lowered the risk factor just a bit, which should help the consistency and the predictability. And then when you have consistency and predictability, you can build off those results to make the car better, which is not the case when you outdrive a car. So so I have a feeling that's going to go well for Max Verstappen in the next few weeks. But you're right. Racing point force India, 18 points to start their, their newly team newly minted team which had zero points before the weekend because of the change of ownership and the big reason we didn't talk about this on the last show mark but the big reason why they changed the ownership and the venture and the capital aspect of this team is to make sure that the former owners creditors and the former owner legal troubles don't come back to haunt the team and mm -hmm. don't come back to jeopardize the future of the team by doing this all the past debt Anything that happened before the sale is irrelevant to the future of Racing Port Force India. And I think that's a bonus. And if you're Williams, ah, well, you had your shot to not be in the bottom of the Constructor Championship. And Force India changed that in one day. And now they're overtaking yeah. you once again. Yeah. And they got 18. And uh, Williams only have five points this year. Yeah, I, I think you raise a really good point there, Kevin. I think it's interesting that, uh, well, the whole thing was kicked off uh, several weeks ago when um, Sergio Perez basically sued them for <laughs> unpaid wages, just to simplify and dis uh, distill it down to to the bare minimum. But uh, So he was backed by Mercedes, the engine supplier, who were reportedly owed something like, I can't remember if it was 10 million pounds or 10 million euros. It was uh, quite a bit. But uh, what with other creditors... Uh, coming in that uh, basically Perez was backed and basically did it to help uh, save the team and uh, by getting them into administration allowed the administrator kind of get the, the the previous owners and VJ Malia out of the, uh, the the picture there because you could tell that this team was underperforming that they were cast strapped they just weren't able to to do that and just uh, being able to have that that new lease of life 
to have that injection of money to, to get all these problems out of the way. I mean, I, I don't think that I've seen a, a team turn it around that quickly. I mean, there, there was some opposition uh, within uh, the, the, the paddock and just because, you know, the way that things used to be done and the way that the, they're being done under the new owners of uh, Formula One. I mean, I, I understand that Haas was a, a little bit uh, bitter and I think it was Gunther Steiner was uh, just saying, well, why do they get the, the, this uh, this cash money prize, you know, so soon? Well, we had to uh, to wait uh, as long as we did. You know, that's that's something that's a, a little bit different. But just, you know, just from the, the, the basic, uh, I, I guess, point of view that, you know, the, the team has been unshackled uh, from the from the previous owner. And now you have Lawrence Stroll and his uh, consortium there. Then hopefully this is, uh, you know, a good turning point. So whether or not they can take that momentum and this new lease on life and, and do something this weekend uh, at Monza remains to be seen. But uh, it was good that it just wasn't, like I say, a flash in the pan. There was a, a real fluky uh, qualifying session by the, the rain. And they did uh, really uh, convert it into uh, a, a meaningful result. But just talking about um, the, the, the two drivers, uh, Esteban Ocon, uh, Hamilton said that uh, that uh, he's, he's backed Esteban. And he said, said this guy should be in Formula One next year. Whereas on the other side of the Force India garage, Sergio Perez uh, said that he has a deal signed for for 2019. So, I mean, well, <laughs> there's only real a couple of, uh, of uh, choices yeah. there. So, well, he said Max, he will announce. Uh, Sergio Sorry? Perez is going to have a contract and a seat until yeah. the day Telmex decide not to sponsor him anymore, which yeah. probably will never happen. So, Sergio Perez is good. He's good for a long yep. time. And the fact that even though right now the new head of Racing Port Force India has already answered question of, well, what if Lance Stroll comes in? Like, he's the kid of your owner. Is that going to change the atmosphere? And then his answer was, well, not really. Not, we, not if we believe he's here for the right reason. Not if we agree with it. And Lance had the podium in his first year. He's already defending the, not even the decision, just defending the idea of Lance Stroll being with Racing Point Force India. So you know it's going to happen. Is it going to happen before Monza? Is it going to happen next year? Is it going to happen in two months? Who knows? But yeah. my theory of last week, Mark, I think still holds true. If Lance Stroll goes away, there's a seat at Williams open. What type of engine does Williams run? A Mercedes AMG. Who is Ocon contractly signed with? He signed with Mercedes. So guess what? Seems like a just a straight swap, just trade, just do like a, a regular sports trade. Okay, I'm giving you Esteban Ocon and fifty million dollars because you need it. Give well, we're taking Stroll, and we're giving you money as well, so you can maybe make the car a bit better. Who knows? Uh, but at least for Racing Port for Senia, in the same interview too, I think it's important to mention. I'm not saying his name because I'm going to butcher it. So, so the new. Uh, the new manager of Racing Port for India mentioned that they're going to try to strengthen their relationship with Mercedes as well. They're already dealing with the drivetrain, the gearbox, and the engine unit with Mercedes. And they're going to try, if available, if that's possible, to get more out of it. So Racing Point for India could continue to be the best of the rest and the, uh, mm-hmm. the best of, of the outside of the top three. In Formula One, and we'll see if Lance Stroll really what he has. Because to be quite fair, when his car was decent last year, he was decent. But mm-hmm. the car is terrible. The car is trash, and the car is the worst car in Formula One. 
Alfa Romeo Sauber, Haas are better than Williams. That tells you all you need mm-hmm. to know. And don't blame just the Canadian kid because it's not just him. It's his teammate, too, that doesn't help develop the car. And I think that's yeah. the biggest problem with Williams is your two drivers are too young and not knowledgeable enough to help you develop the car for the future. You need a guy with a bit more know-how, and maybe Esteban Ocon is that driver with a bit more experience, but a bit more know-how of the car racing in different uh, series over the years. And he he is a bit more car-savvy, you might say, than a Lance Stroll. So maybe that's the move. And maybe Williams will benefit from the presence of an Ocon versus a Lance Stroll. And Sirotkin, because I know it's his birthday, and I know it's kind of harsh to say this on the guy's birthday, but Sirotkin has no place in Williams, too. So there's going to be two seats in my mind open for Williams, one for Esteban Ocon, and the other one, who knows? Could be a, could be a surprise. Maybe we'll see a, a yeah. Paul DeResta getting a chance. Who knows? They have to save money. They're paying him anyways to be a reserve driver, so why not put him on the seat? Yeah. Yeah, it just depends how much uh, money that they're bringing with them. And uh, I can't remember how much money Sorotkin is uh, bringing in in sponsorship, but uh, it's uh, substantial. And and Williams, I mean, wow. I mean, wh- what do you say? I mean, obviously, it is the, uh, the the worst car on the grid this year by a long shot. And it's interesting what, just to what you were just saying about uh, for, Force India being best of the rest. is just how I'm really surprised that Renault seemed to have regressed lately. I mean, Sainz was a non-factor. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg, of course, having grid penalties, putting him back uh, towards the, uh, the the back of the pack. And they weren't really anywhere. Well, obviously, Hulkenberg was done by turn one, but Sainz didn't really uh, impress at all. And I was kind of thinking, watching the race, that uh, you had Ricardo. Obviously, he was two laps down. He was never going to unlap himself. But just watching, uh, you know, the, the way that... Uh, Science was kind of tooling around rather ineffectively around uh, around Spa Francorchamps. I was just kind of thinking, well, if I'm Danny Ricardo, I'm just kind of wondering, based on what we've seen in the first race since I've made this announcement, I'm going to the race for these guys next year. Have I made the right decision? So that's going to be a, a situation to definitely watch uh, the, the, big, the rest of the year. How big is his paycheck? Uh, at his point in his life, I think that was important too. It's always yeah. easy after well, to say, oh, yeah, I just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the winning yeah. and the opportunity of winning is all well and good. But if the yeah. guy gives you a substantial amount more than what you're offered and maybe the conditions of working conditions that might not be as stressful. He's Australian after all. That might be worth something. So I'm not worried for Ricardo. He He's going to being happy for him might be more important than winning races and maybe those two are linked together he's gonna win Renault's first race it's gonna be Danny Ricardo. Yeah. does it happen in 2019 2020 I don't know but it will happen just yeah. how it happened with Red Bull so we'll see we'll see I don't know if winning a championship is ever in the future of Ricardo. it's not about who you are and what your dreams of it's about are you gonna get hired by Ferrari or Mercedes and if you don't well championship is not really in your thinking anyways yeah, and the other thing is, I think that you know what he was saying—that he wants a, a fresh start at uh, at Renault. I think if you kind of read the between the lines there, I think he's relishing this opportunity because, regardless if they ever come out and say it or not, everybody knows that Max Verstappen is basically the number one guy at Red Bull, re- whether or not uh, they they have like a, a public number one and number two tag that they have on the drivers there. 
I mean, everybody knows it, of course. So I think that's that Ricardo who's obviously a very good driver in his own right. I think is looking forward to getting into a situation that uh, even though he said he doesn't need to have that number one status, I think that uh, that uh, being at uh, a team like Renault, like you say, being where he's going to be the guy, he's going to have the, all the focus around him, around a team that does have means and opportunity and the resources to, to do things in Formula One, whether or not that will translate into success. I mean, it obviously has a, a big team feel to it. It's not like he's going to be going from one of the top three teams to, uh, you know, an also ran uh, one of the smaller operations. So whether or not uh, Renault can t- can ultimately start challenging for race victories and, and championships, I mean, like you say, that, uh, that'll that reveal itself over time. But they're, they're at least holding or doing the things you would expect of a, of a team that's trying to reestablish itself in the sport and has it set this target date of uh, when they want to be competitive uh, for, for races again. So it all kind of uh, makes sense. But <laughs> you're kind of going from from teams that are kind of progressing and, and, and maybe regressing a little bit. We go to a, a team that uh, hasn't progressed at all. And uh, you don't really need to read between the lines uh, in that one because that was Stoffel Van Doren referring to McLaren. And I don't think any further <laughs> explanation on that one is uh, is necessary. I mean, that's sort of a feeling or an observation uh, that uh, that everybody's had at some point this year. And uh, it's uh, again, I, I don't know how many times we can say it. It wasn't all Honda. You know, the Honda <laughs> obviously wasn't all that good, but the, the, the chassis. The chassis wasn't that great after all. The chassis <laughs> was not good after all. No matter how much they tried to make that pill be swallowable by us saying oh our chassis is great it's just a honda engine no your chassis was not good yeah equally just as uh, not as good as uh, as uh, everything else and then just as we start to to wrap it up here kevin uh there's it's been coming out the past couple of days that uh, again it seems more likely that uh, that uh, kimmy raikkonen is going to get a, a new deal at ferrari so who knows maybe this weekend coming back to Italy, going back to Monza, the spiritual home, if you will, of uh, Ferrari. Obviously, there will be thousands, tens of thousands of Tifosi there to uh, cheer on their favorite teams and their favorite drivers. So obviously, that would be the best place to reveal uh, a new contract uh, for Kimi Raikkonen. And then finally, in closing, Fernando Alonso again, He's got to be the one guy that kind of uh, has something, uh, I wouldn't say controversial, something noteworthy to say almost uh, every week. And uh, he was saying this week that not only did he uh, turn down an offer from Red Bull to replace (laughs) Daniel Ricciardo, he turned down at least five offers because the team could not offer him the level of performance he desired to stay in Formula One. Uh, So, How many races did McLaren win since Alonso came back? Or how many races did Red Bull? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. You know, I I love Fernando. I truly do. And he made me rediscover IndyCar last year. And... He's going to make me watch IndyCar maybe every single race next year. But, you know, he has to find a way to stay relevant in the news because he doesn't stay relevant in the news with his performances this year or last year. And it's the reason of why he's so popular still. He finds ways to make people talk about him. And if you do so, your name's in the news, is in the headlines, and your name's talked about, and you're able to profit from it. Literally, monetarily. And with opportunities, I, I think Kevin maybe the the most uh, I think the most interesting thing that wasn't said that it was not so much that they couldn't offer him the level of performance he desired to stay in Formula One, 
Obviously, the Red Bull is a much better car than the McLaren, but probably that that bridge to Honda-powered Formula One cars has been long since burned by Fernando Alonso. So, who knows? Uh, there, there may be something to that or not. But oh, uh, yeah. again, uh, oh, well, new, it'll be no funny to see uh, what kind of car he drives in IndyCar. You know, if he because there's a lot of Honda-powered car in IndyCar. Exactly. And uh, that would be hilarious. Can you imagine if he's back behind a Honda car? It's like, well, well, the Honda F1 department was bad, but uh, Honda, the car is good, you know? Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. It would be somewhat ironic if he ends up driving a Honda-powered car sometime, or somewhere next year. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Anyways, Kevin, I think uh, just before we, we wrap things up uh, here, of course, uh, we'll be back uh, beginning of next week to talk about this weekend's Italian Grand Prix. But before we go, just a quick reminder of the current standings in the Formula One World Championship. Lewis Hamilton on top with 231 points. Sebastian Vettel closing the gap to 18 with 214 points. Kimi Raikkonen still in third place with 146. Valtteri Bottas nipping at his heels in fourth place with 144. Max Verstappen with 120. And Danny Ricciardo rounding out the top six with 118 points. And then the next closest guy would be Nico Hulkenberg with... uh, a somewhat decent 52 points, but just miles back. And then in the World Championship for the Constructors, it's still pretty close. Uh, Mercedes on top with 375 points. Ferrari second with 360. Red Bull with a decent 238. And then Renault miles back in fourth place with 82. And then a bunch of other teams rounding out with Force India Mercedes, who don't have a single points before last weekend of course that's well i guess that's all been changed around what with the the new name and everything like that but uh, they are currently behind williams but we'll see they could uh, soon pull themselves out of the, the the basement back in and up through the the, the contract constructor standings sorry hey, it won't be too long <laughs> i think it's gonna happen really quickly weekend. i think it's gonna happen in just two more races and you'll have them back to like six or something because, uh, yeah, that's how good and efficient that team is compared to other teams that do have a bigger budget than them. The amount of efficiency coming out of racing for Formula One versus McLaren or Williams or Haas is mm-hmm. is impressive. And I think it has to be talked about. And they have good people working for them. And that's one of the good reasons why it's out of administration and new owners is about 400 jobs were saved. And a lot of those 400 employees are actually really good at their job and they've been doing really well. Force India since 2016 now is the new Williams of 2014-15 where, where Williams were punching above their weight and were doing really good and we've seen Massa being the fourth. like They were the fourth best team at that point and since Force India's rise, Force India is that fourth best team any given mm-hmm. weekend and that's because of the great people that work for Force India. Not because of the money, not just because of the engine, but about everything else surrounding those two aspects. And for yeah. a team with around 150 million annual budget, they're doing amazing, amazing things. Absolutely. Definitely punching above their weight. And, uh, well, we'll wait and see if they can do it again this weekend. And just a, a quick 
tutorial, I guess you could call it, on uh, Monza. It uh, will be 53 laps this weekend. Pirelli has made the medium, soft, and super soft tires available. Circuit length is 5.793 kilometers long. Total race distance of 306.72 kilometers. And the lap record has stood for quite some time. Rubens Barrichello set it back in 2004, the 1 minute 21.046. And, well, since they came out with the, the new cars last year, we've seen track records fall all the time. Uh, we saw it uh, again this past weekend at Spa. So perhaps we'll see somebody shatter Rubens' track records or lap record here. And uh, could happen this weekend. So we look forward to that. And Kevin, as we sign off here and turn off the lights and uh, close down the studio for another week, just remind everybody where they can find you online. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kevin Laramie, on Twitter at Kev Laramie, same on Instagram at Kev Laramie, and you can find the podcast versions of this show and a lot of soccer shows that I do as well at sportspodcastingnetwork.com. That's right. You can download this show and more basically anywhere you get your podcast. Doesn't matter if it's Apple, Stitcher Play, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, anywhere you get podcasts, we're there. So make sure you hit that big fat subscribe button. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a nice review and a five star rating. If you're on Apple Podcasts, helps us uh, keep the show visible and grow it and get it out to uh, to more like minded people and, and fans of Formula One. So for those of you that have left us ratings, thank you very much. And of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and throw a tweet our way. We're always there. Love talking Formula One. And speaking of uh, talking Formula One, we'll do it again here again this time next week. And uh, this is Mark Daly on behalf of Kevin Laramie signing off and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?